This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Todd McKay. I'm here with our federal director, Franco Terrazano. We've got a big victory to talk about, at least for the moment. Bill C-10, that bill to regulate the internet, it's on ice. The Senate said, we're not going to rush this thing through. Seems like that legislation will probably die before the uh, election, but uh, this thing is far from over. So we're going to talk about that in Wastewatch. The feds threw out a whole bunch of uh, N95 masks just when the pandemic hit. And now we've got some more of the bills for that. Funny how it costs money to throw something away. But okay, first of all, uh, Franco, how you doing, man? Good, man. Yeah, I'm heading to Ottawa in less than two weeks here. Um, really excited for that move. Really excited. But I am going to miss Alberta. But one of the things I'm pretty pumped about to, to be able to take part in before I go is I, I think I get the first half of Stampede Week. So real pumped for that one. Yeah, it's funny. Every so often bull riding comes on TV and my kids look at that. They're like, daddy, is that a, is that a smart thing to do? No, no, not a smart thing to do, but fun to watch. I've never actually been to Stampede. I got to do that someday. So. Yeah, it's good, man. It's real good, especially if you uh, enjoy mm-hmm. overpriced beer and a ton of uh, deep fried food. <laughs> You paint a pretty picture there, my friend, a very pretty picture. Okay, but let's get uh, down to work. You know, we were talking a little bit the other day with uh, Tom Korski from Black Locks Reporter about uh, the Canadian government's Canada Infrastructure Bank, and it won't release the, uh, the bonuses that executives pay to itself. The chief financial officer of the bank told a Commons committee, uh, bonuses are confidential. So uh, this is taxpayers' money, though. So we need to see the receipts. You can't just give yourself, even in a business situation, you can't, if executives can't give themselves big bonuses and then not tell shareholders, you can do big bonuses, but you've got to be accountable for it. It's not the first time taxpayers have had had big issues with this bank. In 2019, the the infrastructure bank paid about $400,000 to terminate an employee. So we've got documents uh, the CTF has found out to show that we've paid tens of thousands of dollars in legal and communications fees when the CEO left. It's a hot mess over there. They don't want to take it, uh, talk about it, but it's not going to get cleaned up uh, if we don't have any sunshine shining down on it. Yeah, I mean, this should really be government transparency 101, right? It's to us taxpayers who are paying the bills. At the very least, the government could, uh, I don't know, maybe let us see what we're paying for. And, you know, you mentioned sunshine. Now, one of the things that a lot of provinces have, which is very good for accountability and transparency, are sunshine lists, right? We get to see how many government employees, who they are, what position they're in of those employees who are making the big time bucks, right? Those six figure paychecks. I know in Alberta, we have it. So if you make over 130 grand and you're working in the government, we know about your compensation. But here is what is so mind boggling. We don't have that at the federal level. No sunshine list in Ottawa, which is absolutely crazy. All right, speaking of Ottawa, let's just shift gears just slightly. Uh, Our members of parliament, in Ottawa, they're breaking for summer. They're heading back to constituency, to their constituency. So let's break down just quickly what happened over the last session. Now, one story that really caught my eye was from the Hill Times. They reported that more than $40 billion in spending was approved without Commons Committee reviewing it. So what are we paying these MPs the six-figure salaries for 
if they can't even do their most basic job and review the spending. The second thing that I think we need to talk about as Ottawa breaks for summer is, you know, there was a law that was brought forward to the commons that would remove the carbon tax on natural gas and propane that's being used on farms. Now that bill did pass the House of Commons, but it is still in the Senate. It hasn't passed there. So what that means is that it's going to remain on the order papers until the fall. But if there's that election that some of us are thinking is right around the corner, that good piece of legislation may die. Yeah. Now, sometimes, though, when legislation dies, uh, you don't really shed a tear. And, uh, you know, I alluded to it earlier, but I think, you know, we've got to give a huge tip of the hat to Canadian Taxpayers Federation supporters. Everybody came off the bench, emailed to uh, members of parliament and senators, which is something we don't often do about Bill C-10. So C-10, of course, is the legislation Ottawa wanted to pass to give the uh, CRTC, the broadcast regulator, the opportunity, responsibility, right to, uh, to regulate the internet. Man, frankly, you were all over this, uh, published a couple of uh, newspaper columns, pushed on it, got a big petition going, and uh, probably most importantly, honestly, uh, our supporters emailed uh, the heck out of all of, uh, all of the politicians at play. And ultimately what happened is the feds, uh, the uh, liberals, and uh, all of the opposition parties, except for the conservatives, hammered it through the uh, House of Commons using some really, really sketchy procedural techniques. But the Senate, and we often dump on the Senate, and rightfully so, because it's really expensive and unaccountable, but it's, it's given the job of being a, a, a house of sober second thought. Sobriety is not always its hallmark, and thought isn't either. But in this case, uh, it said, hey, listen, like we're not going to rubber stamp this thing without at least hearing from people that it affects. So we're, Senate ultimately put it on ice. If the feds call the election, then uh, that legislation is going right back to, uh, to square one. And uh, the government would have to reintroduce it. But given the whooping it took in this case, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good first step. There's definitely more fight to, to fight there. Before we get into all of that, we're going to take a deeper dive uh, into C10 and where it's all at. And uh, it's perhaps uglier successor. Uh, but before we do that, just a quick promo, taxpayer.com. We've got a shop there. We've got shirts that make fun of politicians. We got toques. Yes, you're going to need a toque again sometime. Uh, we got a lot of fun stuff there. And if you use the promo code podcast, you'll get 15% off. Once again, 15% off. Use the promo code podcast. Go to taxpayer.com, hit the shop button. Uh, check it out. Get yourself uh, some fun stuff. Okay, listen, we've been talking about uh, Bill C-10 a bit already, but it's a really, really important issue. It comes down to freedom of speech, which is really the freedom to hold government accountable. It's really important. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about Bill C-36, which is another step further down the road to eroding uh, freedom of speech and accountability. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, this government... It's new legislation to register uh, to regulate content on the internet. Franco, uh, take us through it a little bit. Well, the Trudeau government is claiming that this legislation is is designed for two reasons. The first, and according to them, is to ensure that streaming services are promoting enough Canadian content. Uh, the second reason they're pushing for this is to make sure that those streaming companies are helping to pay for enough Canadian content to be produced and. 
Now, after that, I should really note that uh, I'm placing heavy emphasis on the word claims. This is what the government is claiming will do. But don't believe me. I mean, here's a clip from Minister of Heritage Stephen, Stephen Guibault outlining why he claims the government's rationale for introducing this legislation. So give it a listen. Bill C-10 is about ensuring that some of the wealthiest companies in the world, like, like YouTube and, and Netflix and Disney, pay their fair share when it comes to investing in our culture, investing in Canadian artists and, and, and musicians. You know, I, I hear what the minister is saying here. He's trying to really smooth this out, uh, trying to wave the, uh, the old Canadian flag over all of this. But C10 does an awful lot more than make it easier to find, you know, trailer park boys on uh, on Netflix. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the government's own rationale really makes no sense on this. I mean, for one, Netflix, which is one of the companies that the minister mentioned specifically, is one of the biggest investors and producers in Canadian content out there. Let's just look at these so-called uh, web giants, right? You had Amazon that filmed 22 original movies and television series across the country. And Netflix, well, Netflix has pumped in $2.5 billion into Canadian production since 2017. So clearly, they're spending a ton of money on Canadian content. And well, how about discoverability. Well, check for yourself, go to the couch, grab your remote, go to Netflix, type in Canadian movies. And within a minute, the whole process takes a minute, you'll be able to find your favorite episode of the trailer park boy. So at best, at best, Bill C-10 is a bad solution in search of a problem. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, I've got, we've got kids, so we've got Disney plus, we've got Netflix, we've got all of that. It's funny, they've got a line there now, Canadian uh, Canadian content. It's right there. If you want to hit it, you can watch that stuff all day long. So it really does seem like they're searching for a problem, especially on the money side where so much money is going into CanCon already. But it's interesting, as much as we hammer away on stupid government spending, and that is a bit of what's happening here, this, uh, this particular legislation is much more controversial for a much deeper reason. Go into that for us. Well, this is, uh, this is a bit strange, but the biggest problem with Bill C-10 is what's not included in the bill. Yeah, it's funny when you put it that way. It's not like we don't have enough problems keeping on track of what governments are doing, trying to keep track of stuff they're not doing. Oh my gosh. Okay, so take us through that. What's the problem? What's the thing they're not doing in this case? Well, Todd, I mean, what's not in the bill is hugely important. The, the original version of the legislation it contained what was called section 4.1. Now, four, section 4.1 stated that the, that the new regulatory powers that the government was giving itself would not apply to regulating the content that individual Canadians like me, you, our listeners post on social media. But surprise, surprise, that protection disappeared, right? So when Bill C-10 was being reviewed by the Heritage Committee, well, the committee's liberal members successfully removed that safeguard section 4.1. So the clause that was going to exempt individuals from being regulated by the government online is suddenly gone. This one is baffling. Like you kind of got to follow the, the bouncing ball here. So first of all, the government says, don't worry, we're just going to hammer Netflix and Disney Plus and stuff like that. We're not coming after you. Just look, we've got this clause here. Uh, 4.1. No problem. Don't even worry about it. Uh, CRTC is not going to be messing uh, with anybody, anybody's uh, individual content online. 
then the government removes that section but the government's still saying ah, don't worry like uh you can totally trust us yeah we removed that section but it's all good we're not going to mess with your stuff yeah, no kidding. And I, and I mean, the onus should be on the government to be showing Canadians that it is not infringing on our rights. And let's be clear for, for a second here, even with that section 4.1 in the bill, it was still a misguided piece of legislation. As I said, it was a bad solution in search of a problem. But without that section, the legislation turns into a major threat to our freedom of speech. And, and if this bill becomes law as is, well, the government will be able to regulate user-generated content online. And I'm, and I'm really not understating things when I say that our freedom of expression is at risk here. Yeah, it's definitely setting off alarm bells, uh, which is probably why the government uh, wanted to talk about this legislation from a different angle. But if you step back for a minute, you can see this is a threat to freedom of speech. You know, Franco, you and me, people across the country, we make posts on Facebook, we send out tweets, upload videos to YouTube. We do all of this all the time. Thanks to Bill C-10, all of this could be regulated by government. And what if the government doesn't like what you're saying? Honestly, half of what we say on this podcast, uh, we're doing it specifically because the government's not going to like it. We really don't need to be dealing with regulators uh, telling us whether we're in or out of bounds. There are no bounds. This is freedom of speech. Uh, the government shouldn't have an opinion on it and no right to uh, to regulate it. This is this is a problem we've got to be on top of. You know, Todd, I'm, I'm super happy you brought that up because obviously freedom of speech is, is hugely important to Canadians and to our democracy. And it's one of the reasons why we knew we had to step into this fight. But there's another reason, right, which you kind of hit on. And, and it falls squarely within the pillar of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation to stand up and fight for more government accountability. Well, one of the issues with Bill C-10, as we're talking about, is well, what if it reduces our ability to hold government accountable online, right? The last the last group of people who should be um, regulating government accountability is the government itself. And I think it's pretty clear that Bill C-10 just opens the door open or keeps the door open for these regulators to determine how Canadians hold politicians accountable online. Now, just to transition slightly, something that I would say is shocking or maybe not shocking is that most of the members of parliament seem totally fine giving the government all of this extra power. And one, you know, out of all the major parties that are in the House of Commons, it was really only the Conservative Party that came out against this legislation. Um, unfortunately, you had the NDP and you had the bloc that were supporting this uh, Trudeau government bill. Yeah, and on that note, uh, I think we've got to listen to what Conservative MP Pierre Pulliver had to say about uh, the Conservatives opposing C-10. Here's a clip from the man himself. Now, this, of course, is an attack on freedom of expression. We have Section 2B of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms for a reason, to protect our ability to communicate our thoughts, our values, and our principles unimpeded by the state, but this bill would prevent us from doing so. It is a massive expansion of governmental power that Justin Trudeau is trying to slip in throughout the panic of a pandemic when he thinks nobody is watching. So that was Conservative MP Pierre Pulliver outlining his objections uh, to Bill C-10. 
that sounded pretty good to me. You know, that sounded pretty good. Um, but it's not just the conservatives that are that are firing back on Bill C-10. I mean, there's a lot of people outside the House of Commons, a lot of people who are very smart, who have done a ton of research on these type of issues over the years. I mean, one person who comes to mind to me on this is the University of Ottawa's Michael Geist, uh, who has been one of the leading figures poking holes in all of uh, Bill C-10's and the proponents' arguments for this. Now, Geist, he was invited to testify in front of the committee, and here's what he had to say. No one, literally no other country, uses broadcast regulation to regulate user-generated content in this way. There's good reasons that all other countries reject this approach. It's not that they don't love their creators or that they want to avoid regulating internet companies. It's that regulating user-generated content in this manner is entirely unworkable, a risk to net neutrality, and a threat to freedom of expression. Yeah, listen, uh, Professor Geist, he has been an absolute rock star on this issue. Absolutely fearless, deeply knowledgeable, and incredibly energetic. Honestly, every time I wanted to know what was going on with this, hmm. I looked at his Twitter feed. That's where I got the best information, not from the media, not even from members of parliament, some of whom were doing a really good job with this. It was uh, Michael Geist. So man, huge tip of the hat uh, to him. And he's not the only one as well. I just looking it up. Uh, Senator David Richards, appointed by Prime Minister Trudeau, a major Canadian author. He is one of those creators that apparently the government's trying to help. He lit up on this bill, saying that it's, a, it's an assault on, uh, on freedom of speech. It's a huge problem. Not only is, is this regulating user-generated content, uh, and it's a bad idea to do that, this is a threat to freedom of expression. And really, nobody else in the world is doing this. Nobody else. The very few places that do stuff like this, they're not democratic nations. You see these kind of, uh, this kind of manipulation in places like China, Saudi Arabia, places like that. I'm not saying that what's being proposed here is anywhere close to that kind of oppression. But we don't need to be anywhere close to anywhere close to that stuff. We should be as far away from that sort of thing as uh, as we can get. We don't need to be regulating uh, what folks are saying on the Internet. Yeah. And, and you know, I think we, we have to give just a, such a huge shout out to all of our Canadian Taxpayers Federation supporters who sent their members of parliament an email who maybe gave them an earful over the phone, because I think it's pretty clear that the Liberals were really trying hard to push this thing through, as, as you kind of outlined earlier. And so we did get a bit of a win, um, at least an initial win, to stop the House from actually making this a law before summer broke. So kudos to all of our CTF supporters. But the fight is not over, especially when it comes to free speech, because there is another piece of legislation that needs to be on all of our radars. And it could even be worse than Bill C-10. It could. And it's called Bill C-36. Now, the government says that this bill, 36, was introduced because we need to amend the Canadian Human Rights Act to include a definition of hate speech and categorize it as legal discrimination. Now, one of the big problems is just how broad the definition is. I mean, the government is defining hate speech in the legislation as, quote, the emotion that involves detestation or vilification of a person or group, end quote. 
Yeah. And so that's a really big problem because it's such a vague definition. So right now, like if you look at slander, for example, if you say something that's demonstrably not true about something, it hurts their reputation, costs them money, that kind of stuff. You can go to the courts. You can fight that. If there's a crazy person out there advocating hate against a certain group, advocating violence against a group, something like that. There are legal measures. There is well-defined. There are legal measures to take care of this. But where, where do we go with this? This is such a... like. If I look at your Twitter feed, Franco, there's a lot of people saying stuff about you on any given day uh, that could probably fall into this uh, definition. You take some tough stands on some stuff, tough issues. Sometimes people really don't like that. But I respect their opinion. I think they're wrong most of the time. Sometimes you say something dumb and you get lit up. But most of the time, uh, they're wrong, but they, they should have the right to bash away on you. This is a really big problem. There was a similar law in the books uh, back in 2013. It got repealed. It's an issue then to have something this vague, this broad, uh, and this dangerous. Uh, it was an issue then. It's an issue now. We've got to be on top of this. And we've got to, this is part of the reason we really ramped up the fight on C10, because we know this isn't the end. And if we wait to get ready, uh, we're going to be behind when these things ramp up again. Yeah, that's correct. And, and if this law, if this becomes law, Bill C-36, well, then individuals would be able to make complaints about hate speech to the Canadian Human Rights Commission, which would then investigate and can impose fines of up to $50,000. That is a huge sum of money. And it basically means that unelected bureaucrats at the Human Rights Commission would have the authority to label your speech or my speech or any one of our listeners' speech as hateful if we say something they don't like online. And as I just mentioned, that punishment can be thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, when you put together Bill C-10 and C-36, you start to see a pattern of really bad policy. So it's policy that's undermining free speech. So first of all, right, when you get to the foundations of it, it's got problems, but it's also really poorly executed. Even if they were trying to do good things, they're doing it in a really bad way. And it's really uh, creating a huge problem. So Franco, thank you so much for jumping into this. Thanks for uh, fighting for it. Honestly, we're Looks like C10 is dead for the moment, uh, but some of these bad bills are like zombies. They come back. And so we've got to reload, get ready to go uh, hard on this in uh, when, whenever the government wants to bring it back. And so for all of you out there, thanks for jumping on this. Thanks for hammering our way on members of parliament and senators uh, and all of those folks. We've got a petition in the show notes. If you haven't already, please sign it. If you know somebody else who needs to sign it, please flip it to them. Okay, we're back with James Wood, Jimbo, our investigative reporter. And he's been looking at some uh, pandemic preparedness, or really, I guess it's pandemic unpreparedness, looking back <laughs> in the uh, recent distant history. Jimbo, what do you got for us? Okay, so we know from piles and piles of reporting that the federal government was not ready for something like COVID-19 to strike. Um, one big hurdle in the early days was N95 masks. That were the masks that everyone wanted. They were kind of the, the best option you had to protect yourself, that kind of thing. Everyone wanted them. No one could really get them. Now, here's the thing. For years, the feds had tons of these masks on hand. And shortly before COVID arrived, they threw them in the landfill. 
it's one thing to spend all of the money on these supplies and all of those kind of plans. And I guess we could arm wrestle about whether those were good plans or not at the time. But there's no upside to throwing it all in the garbage. That part is just straight baffling. What's going on on that? Yeah, like <laughs> actual prep and forethought that that didn't happen here, despite multiple warnings from within government and the mass tossing in question actually happened close to home for you. It happened in Regina when the federal government, they closed a warehouse in that city in late 2019 that housed part of the National Emergency Supply Stockpile. Now, that's the uh, federal stockpile of emergency supplies. Disposal in that uh, in that shuttering had included an estimated 2 million expired N95 masks with worth close to $1.2 million. Yeah, so, okay. So just kind of cycling through this, over a million dollars worth of masks thrown in the garbage. So that's bad enough. Even if you didn't need them, that'd be frustrating. But we desperately needed them. Like I know healthcare workers. I know you do too. I don't think they would have been, especially early in the in the pandemic, I don't think they would have been, you know, quibbling over expiry dates they would have been pretty happy to not use the same mask for a month at a time yeah yeah i'm sure like both you and i know a pile of healthcare workers who would be uh found themselves in that exact situation which is not a good time at all um i had to dig up that 1.2 million dollar cost i had to to find that out because the government wouldn't say and after i first saw reports about the mass disposal in regina from cbc regina now, I was able to find the cost of the disposed gear, and I found out the actual disposal cost as well, how much it cost to, to do the job, to throw it out. Uh, that was just shy of $4,800. And the painful bit here is that we had to pay out our noses for N95s once things really started going in March of 2020. Uh, those masks that were tossed in Regina, they cost had, they had cost uh, 44 cents each to purchase before COVID, before COVID came in. Once things kicked off, the cost per mask just went off the charts. Oh, yeah. Everything went off the charts there for a while. I mean, it sort of settled out after a little while. But remember that at the start, hand sanitizer, you couldn't yeah. buy that anywhere. You couldn't. Uh, toilet paper went crazy. But those masks, I remember construction companies donating masks uh, because they use them when they're tearing apart drywall and whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, they were donating masks uh, to hospitals and stuff. It was absolutely crazy. And the cost for all of that stuff went right through the roof. Yeah, like this was, it was, it was nuts. It was called, like people called the Wild West. There are planes coming back from China to get the stuff. They're coming back empty. Uh, stuff was getting nicked on the tarmac over there. And these were these brutal, brutal prices that we had to pay. Like it was billions and billions of dollars. Um, one example uh, of the cost going up so crazy comes straight out of the PMO here from records that is closed from the early days of pandemic. Um, They're talking about a shipment from the United States that was coming in and the cost per mask there worked out to just over $1.20 per mask. And that's a bit higher than 44 cents each. Now, we even have a picture of what the mask looked like that were being thrown at Regina. They were still in the box. They were, they most likely could have been used in some way, shape, or form. They basically took the millions they had spent to acquire those masks and threw it in the garbage. And then we had to spend way more to get more expensive masks when the price all went through the roof. I mean, that's almost triple the price. So we threw out the value, the million dollars worth of masks, and then probably had to buy $3 million worth of masks to replace them, those same kind of masks. Yeah. Okay, but what was the thinking here, though? Like, 
what in the world were they thinking as these masks are getting, you know, uh, thrown in the garbage truck? Yeah, like the, apparently, so it kind of makes sense when it comes to medical equipment. They had a set shelf life and it reached the end of that, uh, reached the end of that time frame. Here's the thing though. The feds, they didn't care about that when COVID came knocking. Like they ended up, they ended up using expired gear. Uh, even if they even issued official instructions about how to use expired gear, you can look them up on Health Canada right now. Uh, there are records in the PMO uh, showing expired N95 masks being sent to provinces when they asked for them. Um, like the Regina warehouse, they ba- they're closing it basically to save a buck. They are trying to save $147,000 a year after they closed this warehouse down. But even before COVID came on the scene, uh, they knew these masks were expiring and they made no move whatsoever to replace them. I'd asked for, I made some ATIP requests looking for any messaging around that particular move, came back, nothing. They didn't even talk about it. You know, and it's interesting at $150,000 uh, to run this warehouse, like that's some real money. You got to keep an eye on that, I guess. But just basic competence in terms of inventory management would be keep track of the expiry dates. If it's getting close, you don't think you're going to need them. Sell them, sell them to those construction companies, some local hospitals. Heck, give them away. That'd be better than taking them to them. We had to pay people to take them to the dump. Millions of dollars <laughs> worth of masks. We didn't, not only did they not get donated to anybody, they got, we had to pay to get rid of them. It's absolute, uh, absolute nonsense and incompetence. Okay, so, but of course they have an explanation. I'm making fun of them here, but we should, uh, we should at least hear from them. What did they tell you when you were asking about it? So I asked the Public Health Agency of Canada about all this stuff. They're the ones who handle the stockpile. Um, now, essentially, they defended their actions. They they said there had been no need for the gear they had to hand to Regina when they got rid of it. Um, now, the key question here, whether or not the masks could have been used if they were retained instead of thrown out, PHAC didn't even want to try and touch that. They didn't even try and speculate on that. So, so weird. This is one of those situations. I know all of us have a little trouble saying sorry sometimes and governments i think have a particular problem with that but you think at least this time they could go with the old you know it seemed like a good at the, the idea at the time it seemed like a good idea at the time we'll throw them out 2020 hindsight bad idea but they can't even admit that at this point is just baffling but of course you know i think hopefully they've had an opportunity to do some uh, real learning in this situation hopefully they'll do better in the future but hope isn't a plan i feel like you're going to be keeping an eye on them for a while yeah basically like i've got eight to i've got more requests in the works i'm waiting on more files to see get a better idea of how this was allowed to happen in the first place and but i mean it boils down to that we don't like paying our taxes it's not fun but we do tend to hope that the money that we pay is being used effectively and in this case that didn't happen that's why the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is here. We're meant to keep government accountable. Stories like this one, we accomplished that goal. We'll keep on it. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Thank you again so much for listening. Thank you to Jimbo James Wood, first of all, for digging up all of that stuff. Can you imagine going to the dump and seeing all of those masks there? You just about lose your mind. Yeah. Anyways, good of Jimbo to dig that stuff up and good of him to, to uh, edit the show. Uh, you know, cut out all the mistakes I make and uh, make it sort of sound like I get it right the first time. One more thing. Thank you to all of you. And we'd like to say thank you uh, in a little bit more of a tangible way 
taxpayer.com. We've got a shop there, funny shirts, good jackets, toques to keep you warm. Hard to imagine we'll need those again, but of course we will eventually. Hats, the whole nine yards. Check it out. And we'd like to say thank you to you for listening to the podcast. So if you do go to taxpayer.com, hit the shop button, find a t-shirt you like, use the promo code podcast. We'll give you 15% off to say thanks. So once again, promo code podcast, taxpayer.com, hit the shop, buy a shirt. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.